Hello. Well, it's a slightly later uh, podcast for, for October. I nearly said November there, you see, because it is November now. Um, it's the 1st of November, and I'm a slightly late with the podcast <clears throat> uh, for a few reasons, uh, including baking a Christmas cake, would you believe it? Um, decided that this year really wanted some... Uh, homemade baking uh, my mum used to do a lot of homemade baking and she's left all of these recipes and it seems a bit of a shame just to leave them in the book without you know sort of like using a few of them the only snag is is that she hasn't put any of the temperatures on for for baking these things so the christmas cake has got all of the ingredients but it's got none of the instructions for how long it goes in the oven or what to set the oven on or so it's kind of a bit of feeling uh feeling my way with these but anyway the first, first cake that i did um went really well so uh, i quite enjoy baking uh strange as it seems i've got one or two other things i want to try out but like a lot of things it's sort of like getting used to the oven and getting used to preparing them but hopefully eventually i'll be able to uh you know produce these things flawlessly you know each time i do them um my first cake was a bit overdone slightly too long in the oven but it's still perfectly edible and very tasty i've just had a couple of uh slices with a cup of tea before i came on air and very nice they were too so yeah i'm going to do a bit more baking i think in future um certainly beats you know any of your shop bought stuff um but anyway yeah october has been quite uh, an interesting month i've some uh, certainly some highlights which i will mention uh, a little bit later the website had one or two things uh, done on it but not really that interesting to talk about uh one thing i would recommend though is if you are um thinking about using cloudflare.com then i would wholeheartedly recommend it it's great for security and great for for boosting the speed of your site check it out it is a free service i didn't mention it that i'd signed up uh on the last podcast uh you know i did say that i'd signed up again to use the service but after a month of using it um it's been absolutely fantastic and given a lot of peace of mind for security uh, my website for the first time actually had a MySQL attack, which is where they try and basically inject code, you know, into your database, and it can get all it can get very very nasty. Um, you know, I mean, they can do all sorts of things to the site. Anyway, fortunately, I've got a very strong security setup on my website, Touchwood, and uh, it managed to withstand an attack 144 attacks in 10 minutes so i know we're obviously using uh different computers and things to do this because once an attack happens the ip address is blocked um and each time it was blocked a new computer would start an attack so it's quite a sophisticated operation but anyway a combination of cloudflare and another uh security system i use for my WordPress website is WordFence, and I would highly recommend that you uh, check out either one or preferably both of those services. So that's cloudflare.com, and I think it's wordfence.com, but if you just type wordfence in, it'll probably 
come up in a Google search anyway, but they do offer an awful lot of protection for nothing. Absolutely free. They do have paid versions, but the free versions are uh, exception. They really are great. There was no From the Archive post this month. There is one in the works which I'm working on and that will come out in November so uh, it's just a bit difficult trying to get across in the text really what I was wanting to say um, cause it's, you know, it's, a bit, it's a bit of a personal one uh, again you know not miserable or anything but it's about visiting the place for the first time a uh, place that I wanted to go quite a long time um, and then you finally get there and this is all about not being let down when you finally it's all about you know that connection that you can get with the place so that will come out in November and really uh, the only other thing was a news post that I added and that was all about 10, 10 years on Twitter I've been on Twitter using Twitter for 10 years uh, I signed up for my account in October 2008 and to be fair I didn't actually start using it until the January of 2009 because I didn't really know what to do with it but uh, ever since then um, it's been an important part of my photography education, uh, communication, yeah and it's, it's difficult to imagine um, my photography without Twitter to a certain extent. Um, I just find it a great network to find out about photographers and find out about work and find out what's going on. Even a lot of the links that are in this podcast usually come from something that I found on my Twitter feed. I follow quite a lot of photographers and organisations and a lot of them put out some really, really good photography links uh, discussing all sorts of subjects, many of which... I have linked on this podcast so wholeheartedly I hope that I will be with uh, Twitter for another 10 years because not only does uh, is it you know other photographers work uh, that I sort of like show and encourage people to have a look at but it also it's handy for showing mine as well um, you know you've got to be a bit selfish and self-indulgent at times and uh, I have everything linked in so that whenever I do a blog post or anything like that it always ends up on the on the Twitter feed about the only thing that doesn't that probably does need to be put on there is this podcast itself uh, which might be something for me to do in 2019 so that whenever I release a new podcast it comes up on my Twitter feed because uh, who knows it might get me uh, a few new listeners assuming of course I've got some listeners to start with in the first place right so that's yeah I mean Twitter at 10 years old I can't I can't believe that um I've probably been on Facebook I can't work out whether it's longer or shorter than that but I've never really warmed to Facebook I don't know what it is I won't say that I haven't been tempted on occasion to delete my Twitter account because I have um, but a lot of that's been for, you know, you just, sometimes it can be a bit of a data overload. Facebook is something that I really would like to get rid of, my pages. But the problem is, is a lot of my friends from my college days and things uh, use it a lot. So I would lose a great way of finding out what they're up to and 
a communication system um, if I did get rid of it and that's the only reason why I keep it um, it's another channel I suppose um, but you know you uh, you've got to concentrate on one social media I think you know uh, you can't spread it over over several and my main social media channel is is Twitter it's the one I like the most so hopefully it will continue for a long time and the great thing is that it hasn't changed all that much in the 10 years about the biggest change was uh, was it last year when they added 200 they basically doubled the amount of characters that you could have from 128 to uh, uh, yeah 256 my maths was slipping there a bit um, and that was a big change for Twitter that was big just doubling it and some people were were not happy about it but that's kind of sort of like faded out now that criticism i think a lot of people have got used to it and 256 characters is still not a lot when you uh, consider it i suppose the biggest cost and the, the the biggest change is that i don't blog as much as i used to and i th i do think one of the reasons for that is uh, twitter use I know other Twitter users have said pretty much the same, and I would actually agree with it that uh, Twitter's just that much easier to use and get a picture out there to people who are following you um, than you know blogging is. It's blogging takes time. Twitter doesn't take as much time. You can just put a nice little concise uh, bit of text in there, add your picture. Click publish and hey presto, you're online. Whereas with a blog, it takes a bit more thought and a bit more care about what you're saying. It's it's a different media, but yeah, it's just a lot easier with Twitter. And I think to a certain extent, a lot of us are just like to do something and get it out of the way. And with blogs, you often you have to work at it to get a good blog post. So that is, yeah, that's about it for news on the, the website. So we will start with the links. And I'm going to start off with Roman Vishniak, a Jewish photographer from the World Wars. Roman Vishniak is a photographer I found out about, I can't remember, it'd be about 10 years ago. I got a couple of books from a car boot sale and... One of the books was uh, had been published in the early about two thousand two two thousand and three by the World Press Photo uh, Competition people, and really they were going through uh, photographers and just asking them about you know influences and stories about them. And Peter Cornice, who was another photographer I hadn't heard of, I'd done all of this photography education. And these two amazing photographers, Roman Vishniak and Peter Cornice, I'd never heard of. Now, uh, Peter Cornice had done uh, this great article about Roman Vishniak because Peter Cornice had photographed a community in Hungary that was gradually uh, moving from its traditional way of life to a more modern way of life. It had been isolated, but as the 20th century crept onward and onward, they were, you know, starting to uh, be modernised, basically. Uh, and a lot of these traditional values and things and traditional ways of life were starting to disappear. 
Roman Vishniak was a photographer who in the 1930s went through to Eastern Europe and photographed the Jewish communities there. And of course, by the end of World War II, a lot of these Jewish communities did not exist any longer. They'd been wiped out, annihilated by the Nazi Holocaust. Uh, the Nazis had just gone in there and completely destroyed a way of life uh, that had existed for, for hundreds of years. And the only proof that they ever existed is these Roman Vishniak pictures. And as a photographer, I mean, he had a fantastic, uh, fantastically interesting life. I mean, he was born to a Jewish family, raised in Moscow. Uh, Vishniak emigrated uh, to Berlin in 1920, where, you know, I mean, it was a very cosmopolitan place, great for the arts in the 1920s. And then when the Nazis uh, came to power, Vishniak realised the writing on the wall and decided he was going to move his family and eventually ended up in America. But one of the things he did, like I said, in the 1930s, was go through and photograph these Jewish communities. Now, it doesn't actually say in the article, but it does say in the Peter Cornelis book that Vishniak photographed a lot of these people using, um, using a hidden camera. And the reason for that was, was because he was a, a stranger and he thought, you know, that the camera would make them behave differently. And he basically wanted them to, uh, yeah, to, to act normally, to go about their everyday life without the distraction of a, a, a strange photographer in their midst. And he took, you know, a combination of uh, images, you know, using the camera in a regular way, but also in this clandestine way uh, with it hidden underneath a large coat uh, he basically sort of like poked the lens out and uh, from this coat and composed a sort of like picture looking down and click hey presto he got it and he managed to uh, managed to do that quite remarkably well uh, he'd obviously practiced doing it and uh, created a great archive of image images there's a combination of images on this BBC article about Roman Vishniak, but I will add some pod link cast, uh, podcast links even um, to show some of the other work uh, that he did because it really, really is impressive. So that is Roman Vishniak, Jewish photographer between world wars, very important photographer, and I just can't believe that he was never included in my education because there are not many photographers that... Uh, photograph a way of life which is completely and utterly destroyed in the way that uh, these Jewish communities were in Eastern Europe tragic when you look when you look at the the people and the, and the faces and realize you know the storm that's that's coming towards them um, yeah it's it's very very sad the next uh, set of links. The next in the link um, is Observe Archive. Uh, this is some portraits by Jane Bowne. There aren't that many uh, on this page. There's only four. These are a set of images taken of uh, gypsies that were living uh, uh, camped at the back of Jane Bowne's house when she was uh, first married. 
uh, in, in a village in Hampshire. She, uh, during the hop picking season, gypsies camped at the back of the house. And so she, she was able to take these fantastic portraits of these uh, wonderful people, you know, sort of working and living in the area and then moving on. And there's some fantastic portraits. Again, another set of images, really, of a way of life that's gradually disappearing as more and more uh, gypsies are encouraged to settle down in these they're, well they're, they're usually these like little parks aren't they that are near um, industrial estates and things like that you know and councils encourage them to sort of stay there permanently or settle down at least uh, but Jane Bounds work is fantastic she photographed did a lot of portraits both of rich and famous people like the Beatles right through to you know people like these gypsies and she always treated people with you know incredible respect um, fantastic photographer and although there's no other pictures listed on uh, there's only four pictures there there is a nice little link if you click on that Jane Bound link there is a nice little link uh, an archive of her, her work which includes you know her pictures of the Beatles there's Quentin Crisp uh, Easter Sunday 1958 um, studies of uh, all sorts of different uh, a festival of Britain um, yeah some fantastic fantastic images by the photographer so a great if you are into portrait photography then definitely worth a look and the final one this is another one from the Magnum website I've chosen a few links over the past few months from the Magnum site because uh, they really are doing a great job of discussing their work on uh, on their website and showing uh, their great archive of images by some terrific photographers and this is a good example of that on this page it's called the troubles capturing the conflict it's 20 uh, years on from the historic sign of the good friday agreement magnum photographers reflect on their coverage of the northern ireland conflict a lot of these images uh, were taken in 72 73 by some big names in the agency there's philip jones griffiths there is uh, Chris Steele Perkins, there's Abbas, and there is Ian Berry. So it's a good roll call of top Magnum photographers. And they also discuss about the photography, uh, about their thoughts about the troubles in Northern Ireland, some of which I don't particularly agree with. Uh, Chris Steele Perkins kind of picked a side, which I don't know whether you really should. Um, and it's just a great series of images uh, documenting the troubles and also a reminder of you know how, how Northern Ireland was you know up until sort of like the mid 1990s it was often in the news I can always remember it, you know when I was at school how Belfast always seemed to have something going on usually rather unpleasant uh, the news you know, from Northern Ireland was not happy and I just hope that they are able to uh, get something together because of course 
the Good Friday Agreement was helped largely by the fact that Ireland was a member of the uh, EU like the UK was since the Brexit vote. The future of how the border of Northern Ireland is going to work has been a bit... Well, people don't know. Um, people are quite worried and they're, they're hoping that, you know, uh, the Good Friday Agreement and the standing and the peace will be able to to carry on. But it is quite daunting to, you know, see British Army troops carrying rifles on, you know, basically uh, the street of a city in the UK um, you know it was quite unique and quite terrifying in a way uh, and the, the pictures come across about how complicated it was and how unpleasant and how it affected people's lives I mean one of the the, the pictures that Philip Jones Griffiths whose images I actually must admit are the ones I prefer the most uh, out of the the four photographers uh, but the one that I always is these group of ladies outside of a uh, outside of a shop, grocery shop, and just at the corner of the wall is a British Army soldier with a couple of uh, two or three, four sandbags stacked up, sort of like looking around as though he's you know in a street battle, and right next to him is a little girl who's probably about you know four or five, just going about just playing. Uh, it's completely and utterly surreal uh, and if these photographs act as anything it's a, as a reminder that we should uh, try as hard as possible for uh, to try and get something working so that Northern Ireland does not send back to this kind of level of violence it was just horrific and I think the people in Northern Ireland are certainly determined that they are not going to have uh, any return to this. But it's a great series of images by some great photographers. So that's the troubles capturing the conflict. And that's it. I will add a few Roman Vishniak uh, links to the bonus links section. And uh, I will be back later this month with a bonus uh, podcast. I think I'm going to be talking about another photography book from my photography shelf, I think, for that one. And then, of course, there'll be the, the November podcast later this month. So thanks very much for listening, and I will see you all again uh, later this month. <laughs>